Hello, fellow writers! You have found Catherine's Corner of the Scripturian Society, where we discuss specific books from the writer's perspective. Here with me, Carissa, aka Lewis, aka Catherine, we discuss the writer's side of reading to analyze some of the specifics that makes a book work or not work on a literary level. Get ready for the usual spoilers, uh, so if you haven't read the book in the title yet, maybe come back here once you have. If you have no interest in reading it, though I do recommend you do, or if you already have, stick around and discuss with me. If you're not a writer, just a reader who wanted more content on this book, welcome. Today we're talking about Nocturna by Maya Motain. I had literally never heard of this YA fantasy book until I went to my library for the first time in forever, which was awesome by the way, highly recommend. Um, and it's strange for me that I'd never heard of it because I'm usually very up to date on YA releases. I take a lot of pride in it, uh, especially the fantasy, especially when the book has been out longer than a year. But somehow I missed this one and I'm glad I caught it now because I did really like this book. It's the first in a planned trilogy. Book two is out as well. I'm currently reading it. Um, and the first one, Nocturna, is basically about this prince and this thief that have to team up to defeat a great darkness. Totally my jam. To be completely honest, <laughs> I'm not usually a fan of the whole lost princess saves her kingdom vibe, so this was a good compromise of the tropes typical in that kind of story without all the elements that usually annoy me. Um, it's a prince here, and the prince is not lost. He's just grieving from the death of his older brother who was killed in a coup and has left him unexpectedly next in line. It also takes place in a really cool fantasy world. The magic system is awesome. Everyone in this world can control the four elements. They're usually stronger in one, um, but mainly some people get what's called a proprio, which is a magic specific to them. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's how it is in my head. Um, this proprio usually has a weakness, but there are no limits on what it could be. Uh, think Renegades by Marissa Meyer level type of power, but with an avatar spin on it. And the culture of the world is based, I think, on an alternate Europe. The countries mentioned seem too close together to be like the whole world, but there are conquerors and conquered, and our main country um, is Latin-based and reminds me kind of of Spain. So everything is Spanish-based, architecture, insults, language, everything. So that's what I'm assuming, and it's very cool. Which brings us to my first point, slang. When creating a fantasy world, slang is, for me, the most difficult cultural element to add with the best payoff. You do have to be very careful you won't create something cheesy that makes readers cringe every time it's said. It has to blend seamlessly into the world, and this can be hard. But if you err on the side of caution and don't add anything, it's going to end up feeling bland or inconsistent. So slang is really a big deal to me. I think it's really important. Um, you have some basic words that are used in urban fantasy, like words for the non-magical, so like muggle or mundane. But in higher fantasies, you need to craft insults and terminology that feel like natural offshoots of the world. A strategy for this used in Nocturna is to simply use an existing language that isn't English or whatever the original language you're writing in. Obviously, when it's translated, there might be some issues there, but because this is a Latin-based culture, all of the Spanish terminology feels very consistent with the whole world. 
I'm not going to pronounce most of them because despite living in Tucson, Arizona my whole life, I do not have the proper confidence to get a Spanish accent going, but this book is a really good example of how you add slang without it seeming weird or forced. Because the architecture and clothing and food are all described in Spanish, when it comes to the magical terminology, like proprio, which by the way means own in English, which I love, like my own, and I love that as a magical term. Um, anyway, but when it comes to magical terminology or insults or terms of endearment or curse words, they're also in Spanish and therefore the whole world feels like it's coming together. Slang is the type of thing that's jarring when you're first thrown into a world, so you as a writer need to be careful to ease readers into it. Uh, but once you've established some terms by using them in obvious contexts, don't explain them, that will put too much pressure on them to stand up to criticism, um, readers will very naturally become accustomed to them as you drop them, you know, one by one when they become relevant. Um, it's an absolutely awesome world building element, and I highly recommend you put slang into your own book, particularly fantasy and sci-fi and dystopia. Uh, but maybe even in other genres as well to make it all feel cohesive and specific to that story. If you use a common base like an existing language or, I don't know, a historical war or even a religious belief to come up with all of your terminology, everything's going to come together clearly for the reader. So that was one element I really appreciated in this book. Another element I liked is that this book is long. It's not super long. It's shy of 500 pages, but I like long books. Do you guys like long books? I feel like they give us enough time to really immerse in the story so that especially by the end, we have reason to feel invested. Obviously, that's a taste thing, but I think this was Motain's debut novel, and I'm impressed she managed that with a longer length book. In making it longer, it allows the story to meander? Is that the right word? That makes it sound negative, but it's not. That's not how I mean it. When we begin the story, there's no way for us to see where it's going. We start essentially with a card game and end up on a quest to defeat an ancient evil. It escalates, but not quickly. It's a very gradual progression of events, all of which are cool in their own right. We do have the dual point of view thing going on, so we know our two main characters are going to interact at some point. Actually, there are other points of views too, but only in passing. And also, thank goodness it's in third person because I personally just can't get into dual point of views in first. But we otherwise don't know anything upfront about where the story is going to take these characters. There are a lot of twists and turns, but all of them make sense. Sometimes, especially in higher fantasy, characters make leaps or assumptions about how to get to the next phase in a plan. And I can find that really annoying, but that doesn't happen here. Because of the length, we are given plenty of room to explore options, hit a few dead ends, and wind up on a totally different path than we originally assumed. I really love this, when we can't always see where it's going from the beginning. There were a few twists I saw coming, things I figured out while reading, like that the bad guy was going to be Sombra from the legend, but it was still really satisfying in how it all played out. I don't think this book's strength is in its plot twists. I think its strength is in how it unfolds all of the action. I was never lost, but it did make me think, and that's the sweet spot of higher fantasy. So, and this is something I'm still having to learn too, you don't have to put all of your effort into making your plot twists 
you know, unexpected and mysterious and all of that, you should be focusing more of your attention on making sure that as the twists are revealed, the plot progresses in a really satisfying and interesting way. I think that's more important, even though, you know, a good plot twist is satisfying, but it's more important that the overall story is satisfying. So don't worry too much about whether or not your plot twists are expected or obvious so long as you're taking them a really cool direction. All that being said, there were a couple details that bugged me that I want to talk about just because I want to vent about them. Most of them are specific to me, but take them as you will. Writers need to be aware of how readers may perceive, positive or negative, some subjective issues too. So first of all, I hated Finn. She's one of the two main characters and gosh, I could not stand her. She is so arrogant. She doesn't feel any guilt or remorse for anything she does, and anything she might feel guilt over, she just blames on her pseudo-father, which, like, is fair because he's awful, but it's like she believes she has literally never done anything wrong in her life. And whether you've been a victim or the victimizer, you have certainly mistreated at least a few innocent people along the way. No one is perfect enough to have a totally clean slate. And having been victimized once or regularly doesn't make it magically okay for you to then victimize someone else or even to just be mean to them. She is so set on hiding from herself and others that she might be flawed that she just ends up, gosh, just so arrogant and cocky in a way that is really not likable. And if she would just acknowledge that she does sometimes make mistakes and could improve, this could lead to character growth. But Finn doesn't seem interested in that. For someone with the ability to magically change her face, she changes the least over the course of the story. Here's my take. I think if you're going to have one of these super stubborn, full-of-themselves, confident main characters, they need to be the sole point of view. Because if you have two, some readers like me are going to view them as rude and unfair when they're interacting with our other point-of-view characters, who we will also sympathize with and might like more. I know Finn has reasons to be the way she is. I get it. I sympathize. But she treats Alfie, our other point of view, really badly at first. And always. <laughs> I am generally bothered by this idea that when it comes to the clashes of the classes, the wealthy are always the bad guys, and so it's okay for the poor to resent them. And it's not because I'm wealthy or anything. It's because, in principle, this is fundamentally unfair. Yes, some powerful people are bad. But some of them are good too. Wealth, or lack thereof, is not a reason to love or hate anyone. It's certainly not a justifiable reason. It's a really shallow take to hate someone because of money. You don't have the right to judge all on the basis of a few or even most. That's called prejudice. And while the wealthy may suck sometimes, so do some poor people. They can be jerks and awful too. You can't assume they're all good just because they're not powerful. Wealthy people and poor people are not fundamentally different. That's ultimately why it's wrong to mistreat anyone at all. And so they all have their strengths and their evils. Making Finn's immediate hatred for Alfie really unfair and grating, especially considering she's committing more crimes against more people. And considering she never takes it back, she never expresses any regret for this or a worldview shift, even as Alfie himself is beginning to sympathize with her, it makes her feel really unworthy of sympathizing with it all if she can't deign to do it in return. 
But even if she did, this general jerkishness is something that's really hard for me to get past once it's begun. If your automatic take when meeting someone new is to treat them in a condescending or cruel manner, I just don't like that. I don't I don't think there's room for that. I cannot get behind it in a point of view character. Or really more accurately, I really can't stand when people are arrogant or rude or unfair or criminals unless they're our sole point of view. I don't know why that's the exception for me. I guess it's because I can more thoroughly identify with that character because we're only in their head, and so I can justify fully getting on board with their side of things even when they're wrong. I'm not sympathizing with anyone else on that deep of a level at that point, and so I can be fully behind them. But when you have two or more points of view and one of them is a jerk, reader loyalty is going to split. You either need to make both characters likable enough on their own and interacting with each other to carry the readers, or you need to put them at enough odds that readers are very purposefully supposed to be picking sides, like in Game of Thrones. I think we were meant to like Finn, and I just didn't. I think she was supposed to come across as clever and badass, and I just found her really grating. I really do think the main issue is that she is incapable of admitting when she's wrong, and not even in like a defensive way, just a total pride way. And contrasted with Alfie, who's always second-guessing himself and trying to apologize and improve and be better, she comes across as stagnant in comparison, like she's unwilling to change or admit wrongdoing even though she's a literal thief. So I didn't love her, and admittedly, that isn't a come into play with my second point. So now we come to a PSA for all authors. Please spread the word. Your story does not need a romantic subplot. I'm serious. Contrary to popular belief, it doesn't. It might work in yours, but it does not need one. There are so many books I've read where it would be so much better if our two point of view characters ended up as friends and allies and accomplices rather than getting together romantically in the end. Finn and Alfie were one of these couples for me. I cannot stress this enough, how much you do not need a romance, how how much filler romances bother me. Don't shoehorn it in. I know people love their romantic subplots. I do too. They make good stories great. But not only does not every story need one in order to be good, you also need to make sure that if you're putting one in, it is the right romance for the character at play. There was more chemistry between Finn and Luca than there ever was between her and Alfie. And Luca is gay. I just don't see Finn and Alfie together. All their barbs just made me hate Finn, and the eventual sexual tension felt like it came out of nowhere. Like, I knew it was going there, you you know, you could see that coming. And I know it was supposed to be enemies to lovers, but it just does not compute to me that these two would be attracted to each other. It's also a slow burn and not spicy, which I admire, but with two characters that are just too different for anything to make sense between them. Here's the thing about enemies to lovers, all romance really, but especially with enemies to lovers, there has to be a bridge for the gap between them, a realistic bridge, and love isn't enough. <laughs> I know culturally we want to think it is, but there's a reason there's a 60% divorce rate in most countries where love is the primary factor in marriages. Love, as in warm, fuzzy feelings, is not stable enough to last a lifetime. It will ebb and flow. You need more to a relationship than that. 
you need fondness, you need friendship, you need fundamentally similar life goals and belief systems to carry you through the times when you're angry or feeling left out or making mistakes. Love won't bridge that gap. Fundamental compatibility can. And I just don't feel like there's enough of that between Finn and Alfie for me to buy it. Now maybe, maybe, Motain is going to acknowledge this and not have them end up together. I'm about halfway through book two. The romantic tension is there and I'm still not feeling it and it's not looking like that's going to be the point, but maybe they won't end up together. And that will be Motain's point, that sometimes love isn't enough. I doubt it though. It's not a typical YA point. YA has gotten a little formulaic in its romantic subplots. We rarely get variety anymore. And so I feel like authors don't think they're allowed to portray young love going badly or even ending amicably because that's not as obsession worthy. And I will admit, I don't love stories where this happens. It's not as fun. I like myself a good soulmate level kind of romance, but it is better than a lackluster romance. I think if if I had to predict what's going to happen in this trilogy, I think what's actually going to happen is that we're essentially going to contrive a bridge that will justify them being together. And I just don't see that realistically happening. Finn is a thief. Spoiler for book two, even once she has tons of money and respect, she still runs away to be a thief. She steals for fun. She likes it. And she is not afraid to commit selfish violence in the name of it. Alfie on the other hand, is a prince. He's next in line for the throne. He cares about his kingdom as a whole and wanting to do right by it, even though he doesn't feel up to the job. He is afraid of his own violence and, yes, has a bit of an anger problem, but only when it comes to those he loves. Do these two people sound compatible to you? How, how could Alfie ever justify having a thief as his wife if he's going to be king? And if he's not going to marry her, how can he justify an affair morally or a lack of a marriage hereditarily? Are we going to abolish the kingdom entirely in this story just so they can be together? That seems extreme. I have my suspicions that Dez, his brother, isn't really dead and he might come back or get rescued and be able to be king instead, which would leave Alfie free, but I still don't think their worldviews are compatible. Finn doesn't want to leave the streets and the life of the poorer society. That's not what she wants. And while Alfie is hesitant to be king, he certainly has the bird's eye view mentality of a king. He wants to be involved in big things and improving them, not just getting by or going on adventures. So I'm not sure where we're going with this that will feel natural. One of them would have to change fundamentally at their core, and that's a really unfair thing to ask of someone for a romance. The only real connection they had that I liked was this one time when Finn, in an admittedly very observant moment, notices that Alfie views his kingdom as fundamentally perfect and pristine and is therefore afraid to be king because he fears he'll break it. And she therefore reminds him that some people in the kingdom are poor and starving and greedy and taking advantage, that the kingdom, while worth something, is not perfect. And if he can just accept that it isn't, he won't be as afraid to take risks and make tough judgments to improve it. He has this weight of history on him, but she reminds him that they're living in the now, and he needs to carry the weight of the present, not the past. That whatever strides they've made, there are still more to come. And this is not only a fantastic theme for governments and nations, it's also very true of individual people. If you think you are perfect, you will not strive to improve. And you'll be too afraid to show weakness to anyone else or acknowledge your mistakes. Ironically, like Finn. <laughs> but if you acknowledge a lack of perfection in yourself, 
Criticism won't hurt as much, your confidence will boost, and you'll actually be willing to change for the better when the opportunity comes up because you have a fundamental understanding that change isn't going to mar perfection, but might alter something fundamentally worth improving. So I love this point. It's very wise of her. It's not particularly something only a love interest could say, though. Alfie could learn this from anyone, particularly a friend. I kind of hate how love interests always get the wise statements when friends are not only typically better at seeing us flaws and all and therefore correctly judging us, but friends also have no ulterior motives in mind, i.e. a romantic relationship, to color their judgment or mitigate the things they'll say. Alfie does want to improve conditions for the poor in his land, and Finn's opinion is a great start, especially because she's right, but an inherent understanding that everything from people to kingdoms can bear risk and improvement doesn't mean two people are on the same page about what direction that change needs to go in, and if they can't be on the same page about it, which Finn and Alfie don't seem to be at all, then you can't make a romantic relationship work. You could make an alliance work, an advisory relationship work, but not romance. That's too personal a place to put that kind of conflict. It would be way too stressful, way too tense. And that's not something you want to add to the type of relationship that's going to be hard for even the most compatible of couples. The only goal Finn and Alfie have in common is the desire to defeat a terrible evil that's going to wipe out the world. And that's just essentially believing that human annihilation would be bad which I've got to believe 99% or more of people would agree with, right? Is that really enough? They don't agree on laws, on how to view the classes, on right and wrong, on lifestyle, nothing. So I just wish that one or both of them had had other love interests instead. Not in the love triangle way. Just in a we-are-platonic-friends-carrying-this-story way, as opposed to enemies-to-lovers. I don't know, it just feels like Enemies to Lovers is popular right now, and so we're shoehorning it in where it doesn't belong. Enemies to friends would be wonderful, and more believable. You can build bridges as friends that you just can't in a romance. It's also a problem, I think, that we clearly culturally have this concept that love is all you need, and it's really not. (laughs) I think that's sort of a dangerous thing to be implying to teenagers. And adults but I digress. All in all, I did really enjoy this book. Loved the world and the plot and Alfie and Luca. I wish book three was out because I suspect this book two is going to end with a cliffhanger, but we'll see. If you guys, like me, had never heard of this series before, definitely go check it out. I know I talked about characters and everything, but I didn't give too much away about the plot, so despite the spoilers, I think you would still really enjoy it. Otherwise, that is all for now. I hope you learned something useful for your own writing, and if you did, then I will see you on the next page.